Um, as you can tell, this is not Lindsay Hilson sitting on my left. Uh, Lindsay was called away at short notice to cover the Syria refugee crisis. She's gone to Lebanon today, which we will get her back another date, uh, either this term or next, and we'll let you know. But Richard Sambrook, who you all will know, um, very, very kindly stepped in at the last minute. And Richard will tell us what he's going to talk about. Thanks, James. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very sorry I'm not Lindsay and not going to thrill you with tales of daring do and an all punchy approach to issues. Um, uh, but, you know, if you get bored halfway through, I won't mind if you drift off, I'll understand. Um, uh, but what I'm, I'm going to do is, uh, because I was asked to, to come up with something at short notice, go, go over uh, what was basically a, a TEDx talk that I gave last year at Cardiff. TEDx is kind of um, uh, I don't know what you call it, Ted Minor, you know, it's a franchise, um, uses the form, but uh, doesn't get the same quality of speaking, obviously. Um, uh, but one I gave, which is basically about media literacy, and I'm going to talk about that, and if nothing else, I think it will provide, uh, hopefully, some meat for, for discussion, and maybe even a little bit of uh, entertainment. But it does mean that the style of this will be slightly more of a polemic than perhaps you're used to, um, uh, and slightly different. But let's see how, see how we get on. Um, but I wanted to start by uh, just recollecting that the first week I joined Cardiff University, where I'm, I'm now uh, on the academic staff, I was invited to a staff lunch for, for new members. Uh, and I was sat next to a young guy uh, who said to me, oh, hello, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a professor of journalism. I teach postgraduate students how to become journalists. What do you do? And he said, oh, I search for the gravitational waves given off by the Big Bang in the hope that we can measure them and uncover the 95% of the universe we know nothing about. <laughs> okay, you win. <laughs> you know, you're sitting, sitting between us, you want to talk to him about creation and you know, moments of huge uh, uh, innovation, or do you want to talk about the Defamation Act? It's not much of a contest, I don't think. But as abstract and extraordinary as these kind of astrophysical ideas and, and gravitational waves and so on are, uh, of course, there is tangible evidence that points towards their existence. Um, you know, we can bring evidence to bear. It's not purely uh, a kind of invention or a theory. Those of you who may be listening to the re lectures of Stephen Hawking uh, uh, at the moment will, um, will know about that. But tangible evidence like that isn't true of everything that we read or watch or talk about, particularly online. And it's increasingly difficult, I suggest, uh, for people to work out what they can and shouldn't believe what's true and what isn't. Now, you know, there's much about the information revolution that's fantastic. We have information at our fingertips, instant data, communication, opinions, tools to communicate 24-7. It's enabled greater creativity, whole new industries, new enterprise to grow, but it's also brought problems, which sometimes I think we don't talk enough about. Um, problem, kind of problems that big social and economic and technological changes often bring. So, you know, 150 years ago we had the Industrial Revolution, which was built on coal and steel largely from the UK, transformed not only Britain but the world, but it brought lots of problems, including pollution, smog across our major cities, environmental problems, other kinds of social problems. And today it's the Information Revolution which is transforming the world, but which in turn is leading to new kinds of problems which I uh, label information smog. That means the digital pollution which traps the heat of argument and debate and trolling and obscures the light that illuminates issues. It's the, a kind of smog which also disorientates us and which in a different way can undermine public well-being. 
information smog. I think it's an area that all of us have to start to think about taking more greater personal responsibility for. So what exactly is the problem? Well, it's got multiple causes, but we are assaulted with media, with messages, with data, with promotions, with propaganda, with PR and spin, all of the time, much of which is wrong, misleading, irrelevant, or even deliberately harmful. It pollutes public debate, it undermines social interactions, it polarises politics often, but many of us lack the ability or the tools to recognise it, let alone do anything about it, and that leads to public confusion, poor understanding, and poor government, quite honestly, in, uh, in a number of cases. So let's just talk about some examples. I mean, first, it's public relations, which, of course, is designed to influence us. And there's nothing wrong with, uh, with PR. Um, indeed, I've done PR myself very briefly, as long as we recognise it for what it is. Uh, but a few years ago, colleagues of mine in Cardiff conducted a study which indicated that 60% of the news in newspapers and broadcasts in the UK is public relations brought in from other agencies. Uh, now, I think most readers would be uh, rather ast uh, astonished to find that it could be as high as 60%. Um, of course, that 60% depends to some extent what you define as PR and what, you know, who you define as a legitimate news provider and not, but nevertheless, it's a very high percentage. So this PR, not all of which is obvious, and we're not of which, all of which we are aware is being placed in order to try and influence our opinions in a particular way. Transparency there being a key issue, I think. Um, then, you know, related to PR, you know, social media is increasingly full of clickbait headlines, you'll never guess what happened next and all that stuff, sponsored content, and a lot more masquerading as news. Now again, some of that's entertainment, and that's fine, as long as people understand what lies underneath it, that actually it's there trying to grab our data, it's there to try to do something other than simply inform us. Uh, then there are content farms, uh, teams of people employed to churn out content to try and entice the public to click and read so that, again, other people can harvest their data. Content commoditized beyond meaning in many ways. It's simply measured by the yard rather than by trying to inform society in some way. Then, you know, if we're on the commercial areas, there's product placement. If you've ever wondered why in House of Cards Kevin Spacey keeps talking about his Sony PlayStation, or, or why if you watch Deal or No Deal on Channel 4, uh, the mugs rather strangely have PG tips digitally inserted hovering over the side of them uh, during the programme, you know, product placement is uh, all around us. If you've got, I can't watch a kind of Hollywood movie now without counting up the numbers of private placements. Now again, in some senses, that's legitimate commercial activity, but it's not always obvious to us what's going on or the extent to which it influences what we're watching or what we're consuming. So there's a lot of public relations commercial activity there, some of which uh, is not always clear what it's doing or how it's doing it or why it's doing it. Then uh, another category, there's political spin. That's designed to recruit us to a particular uh, political position or set of arguments. Um, you know, we've been through an election, we're, we're exposed to spin all the time, um, you know, we see it in, in all the kind of political announcements and on the TV and in the papers uh, every day. Uh, we have a lot of spin doctors, you know, go to the spin room after um, leader debates, you know, spinning their man's um, uh, particular line, telling us everybody that, that asserting their candidates won, assertion triumphing over any real evidence or qualitative kind of basis for making uh, that assertion. Uh, so spin, we're surrounded by it the whole time. How do we know what's true and what isn't? Uh, just done a study, um, a piece of research at Cardiff on the media's use of statistics. 
one of the big confusions is about government statistics, because people talk about government statistics, it's not clear if that's a, um, a, an LS statistic that's gone through a kind of civil service neutral Whitehall um, discipline process, or if it's something that's come out of the political party or the special assistant in the press office. Uh, and it's just being spouted by a politician or a government minister. It all gets called government statistics. One you could rely on as having a degree of objectivity, the other one I wouldn't trust at all. And yet we're surrounded by them and we have no real means of being able to tell which is which or what we're being told. Um, political journalism we could talk about as well. So much of that is about character rather than about policy, uh, or commentators commenting on the comments of other commentators, uh, at which point, you know, we will slightly uh, uh, lose our balance, really. So, there's political spin and, and, and all of those things associated with it. Then in the different category, there's um, pure activism again, which of course is absolutely fine if we're clear that that's what it is. So when NGOs make videos about um, their particular causes, we understand that they're promoting their interests, trying to inform the public from their uh, perspective and their point of view about the issues that concern them, and that's clear and fine. But when big business funds climate scepticism, uh, the underlying interests are not so clear, and the debate becomes confused as a consequence. So when the big oil companies are sponsoring particular uh, academics, some of them, or a particular piece of research um, designed to come out with a particular conclusion, uh, and actually the origins of that are not clear, then that's an issue, because it pollutes public debate in ways that we don't always understand or take into account. But that is a different form of activism in some way. Then, of course, as I just said, there's the use of misleading statistics and surveys. You know, we all know about correlation and causation, I hope. So somebody says the rise in autism coincides with the rise in the sale of organic food, so organic food must cause autism. No, of course it doesn't. But we see that and other kinds of uh, logical fallacies uh, minute by minute on the web. There's a um, spin onto this. So uh, here's some logical fallacies. You'd need to be a, um, a professional philosopher to talk you through all of them. But, you know, we see these kinds of, of logical fallacies, these, these, these confusions in thinking going on the whole time uh, around, as I'd suggest. Um, so uh, activism, use of statistics. Then, of course, there's bull propaganda, um, which on the one hand might be um, Russia using uh, its media to assert a version of events over Ukraine which is de deliberately designed to undermine NATO states, uh, which I think is pretty clear is what's happened now. Uh, many other kind of examples of national um, propaganda we could talk about. Or with small p propaganda, it can be Fox News um, after Charlie Hebdo telling us that Birmingham in Britain is a no-go no zone for non-Muslims. And at the time, that was called out very rapidly on Twitter in ways that were very amusing. My favourite Twitter reaction was the one that said Fox News would be more accurate if they actually employed foxes. Um, but <laughs> the real question is, what was going on there? You know, did those people on Fox News really think that Birmingham was a no-go zone for non-Muslims, which is pretty terrible for a, you know, a major news channel of whatever variety, or, which is worse, did they think the audience wouldn't know any better and they could just assert it and, um, you know, they'd get away with it? Which I think is worse. So what? I mean, but it must be one or the other. What was going on? Did they know or didn't they know? And what was their motivation? It seems an extraordinary thing to me. And of course, that's one high-profile example. But there are lots of mini examples of that going on on many channels in many days. It's about asserting a version of the world which fits with an ideology, regardless of the facts. It's what's you know increasingly um, referred to in the U.S., particularly in election campaigns, as the post-truth era. 
as if truth is a passing fashion that we can leave behind. You know, truth that's so yesterday. Um, we're seeing a lot of it again, of course, as we gear up to this year's uh, US election campaign. So we could get into the whole question of Donald Trump and uh, migration in the US. And you know, actually, if you just assert your ideology loudly enough, does it matter whether it's true or not? Because you just get people who want to agree with you anyway. Uh, now, a, a lot of this is pure muddled thinking. Um, uh, a lot of people in this kind of postmodern era would say there is no such thing as objective truth. There's just different narratives. There's just my truth and your truth. Um, personally, I think that's nonsense. Uh, the American documentary filmmaker Errol Morris was once challenged by someone in the audience who said, there's no such thing as objective truth that you're trying to get to in your documentaries. Uh, you know, that's just a nonsense and an old-fashioned way of thinking. And he said, wait, hang on a second. Imagine you're strapped to the electric chair, the executioner has his hand on the switch, and you shout out, but I didn't do it. And he says, well, that's just your version of the truth. My version <laughs> of the truth, you're guilty. Now, that may focus your mind a little bit on whether there is an absolute truth or not. Or as the uh, social scientist Terry Eagleton once uh, suggested, there are different kinds of truth. So if you say there is a tiger in the bathroom... Either there is a tiger in the bathroom or there isn't a tiger in the bathroom. Both things cannot be simultaneously true. But if you were to say racism is evil, you might all agree with me. But someone else might say, well, it's not so much that it's evil, it's just it's prejudice, which is different. Or it's a symptom of a lack of education or a lack of proximity. That's not the same thing as evil. There's, a, there's an area for, for discussion there. Uh, even though you know, some people may agree with the, with the tag of saying racism is evil. It's a different kind of truth. And these different kinds of truth, just like those logical, some of those logical fallacies, are things which regularly get confused, and then that, that confusion gets exaggerated on social media the whole time. So there's a lot of muddled thinking that goes on there that doesn't really get uh, pulled out. Then other categories, there's infotainment, the listicles, the 10 best <coughs> cat videos and so on. Nothing wrong with those, again, as I said earlier, but that's really about harvesting the data, as long as you understand that when you click on that, you're opening up all of your data to someone to be able to sell. Uh, fine, but I don't think people always understand that's what's going on. There's the worry over what people call digital obesity, our dependence on social media and um, digital devices, of which I'm absolutely uh, a victim, very much so. They're as addictive as sugar. We can't put them down. Without them, we get lost in this information smog. And that smog or digital noise, um, I think, can also obscure real gaps in our information, as I was discussing with uh, some people over lunch today. There are parts of the world that we don't realise we don't know about. Because there's so much stuff coming at us that we think we're incredibly informed about everything we need to be. We don't realise that there are holes in our understanding about some parts of the Middle East or about Iran or about some parts of Asia that we simply don't understand what's going on because the volume of noise and the volume of material covers over those gaps. Uh, also, there are issues which are at the top of the news agenda one day, areas of public interest, and then disappear unresolved the next as this kind of spotlight moves on. Uh, and, and, you know, this question of how you resolve issues of public interest that are incredibly important one week and vanish the next, again, leaves holes in our knowledge in ways that we don't question and we don't challenge. We live at a time when immediacy, uh, impact, uh, volume are prized above accuracy. We live in an attention economy with many people vying to get a scrap of our time but with what I'm suggesting may be becoming a debased currency of information. Uh, in a time when people are often more interested in inflaming than informing, more interested in heat than in light. So what are some of the consequences of this? 
Well, one of the main ones, obviously, is a lack of public understanding. There's a regular Ipsos Mori poll that's done every year that Guardian uh, publishes, and the last one had the, um, the headline, you are probably wrong about almost everything, uh, which some people may find reassuring, because frankly, you may as well give up and go and have a drink. But uh, nevertheless, it said that in Britain, for example, Britons overstate the proportion of Muslims in their country by a factor of four. People in the UK think immigrants make up twice the proportion of the population as is really the case. Britons believe 24% of people are unemployed, which is about three times higher than is the actual rate. They estimate teenage pregnancy rate to be five times higher than it actually is, and so on. People just don't quite understand the reality of what they, their society and the country that they're living in because they're either not paying attention or they're not quite sure what to pay attention to, and there are all of these other factors with an interest in perhaps distorting uh, how these things are presented and, and the information that they get. You don't only have to look at polls, you can check online myths. So if you Google search for airborne Ebola, you will find more than 700,000 items discussing whether Ebola can be uh, um, uh, airborne or not. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that it's ever been transmitted by airborne means. Or pick the conspiracy theory of your choice and see how much of it is out there. Now, this information smog has real consequences, in my view. It's led to a profound lack of trust in journalism, in politics, in business, uh, in the banks, all of which, in some ways, may be fair enough, we say. Perhaps some of those people deserve to have lost our trust. But it also, also corrodes the institutions which support our way of life. It rusts away at trust in uh, uh, the society, which is an issue for the big technology companies as much as anyone else. If a Google search throws up wrong information or deliberately misinformation, disinformation, we'll stop using it. So a polluted internet is a concern for all of those who've built empires on it, which is why they are trying to work through more authoritative means of surfacing authoritative sources and so on, trying to flag up fake news, uh, and trying many new tactics to try and weed some of this out. But even they, with all of their expertise and their resources, are struggling to do so. So what hope do we as consumers have? Uh, a few years ago, Peggy Noonan, who was a um, speech writer for Ronald Reagan and now a, a columnist at the Wall Street Journal, uh, said about uh, one conspiracy theory or another uh, this quote. Here is the fact of the age. People believe nothing. They think everything is spin and lies. The minute a government says A is true, half the people on earth know A is a lie. And when people believe nothing, as we know, they will believe anything. So that's a paradox that as trust falls, credulity grows. Uh, and I think that's something that we are having to deal with at the minute. Because all of these different kinds of content that I've been uh, talking about look and feel the same in many ways, particularly online or on our phones. People are questioning least at a time when they should be questioning more where their information is coming from. And the lines between independent information, journalism, PR, spin, propaganda and so on are blurry. It all starts to feel much the same online in particular. It's all a bit of a kind of mush of information that's out there. And we, have to, as individuals, I think, need to be much sharper to spot the differences. Last year I was on a, uh, a panel discussion with a very uh, clever and accomplished woman who runs a small uh, charity. Uh, and we were having exactly this kind of discussion. And in the end she said, slightly exasperated, look, it's only you old journalists who care about these differences. The rest of us, it just doesn't matter. It's information, we'll take what we want, uh, who cares? To which the answer is, if we really don't care about the differences between truth and propaganda, then we may as well be in Germany in 1936, 
or Rwanda before the genocide, or Serbia before the Balkan Wars. Now, of course, most of us don't live in anywhere quite as extreme as those circumstances at the moment, but information is a weapon and can be used as a weapon and needs to be handled and treated with respect. Truth matters, not just an individual's version of it, but facts, and we have to try and respect that difference. So, what can we do about it? Well, I don't think we can rely on uh, governments or business to deal with it. Many of them have a stake in creating this information smog. They have no duty of care towards us, even though we might wish that they did. So we have to take care of ourselves, and in many ways that's appropriate at the time when we've all been given uh, the tools to join in the public debate ourselves uh, and to create our own content and so on. We are all media creators now. Every click that we do or every share on Facebook helps to define the public culture. It influences the algorithm about what gets surfaced, what gets talked about. So we are, in ways that we don't always understand because algorithms are not transparent, we are helping to define our popular culture by our online behaviour. So we have to start to take some responsibility for it. And at heart, it's a question of personal media literacy and critical thinking. Uh, in Britain, media literacy is little discussed and where it is, it's with bodies like Ofcom, the media regulator, who have the responsibility for measuring it, and they tend to do it by looking at technical competence rather than critical thinking. So how many people have access to broadband, how many smartphones are there in the UK, rather than do people understand what it is they're consuming. But it's critical thinking and questioning that really matters. Everybody should be questioning what they're consuming and being told about the world and why. So, to wrap this up, uh, I want to uh, suggest a simple toolkit to find your way through in this information smog. And when you're presented with information, news, a view that you're not sure about, here's some simple questions you might ask. Uh, firstly, who is saying it? What's the source? And do they have an axe to grind? Do they have a position that they want to push forward? And why are they telling me this? Are they trying to inform? Are they trying to sell? Are they trying to influence? Are they trying to mislead? What's their motivation? So who's saying it? Why might they be saying it? Finally, what's the evidence? Is there any evidence? Is there any third-party information, endorsement, statistics, figures, any evidence that seems to support this point of view? Does it seem well-grounded? Does it seem reliable? And finally, where are there other views? Is there another way of looking at this? We all live in our own... Uh, we have, we have our own confirmation bias, we all live in our own little echo chambers. Uh, it's healthy to be challenged about that. So where is there a different point of view? Even if I agree with this, what's another way of looking at it? Uh, and I think these are all questions, very simple questions, that we should all be asking ourselves more often about what we consume, about what's offered to us, about the debates that spring up. Uh, and if the information that we're thinking about fails any of those tests, if any of those questions are difficult to answer, then I suggest we don't breathe too deeply because we could be deep in the information smog and it could be bad for our health. Now, when I did this last year, I started a, a little Twitter hashtag, InfoSmog. All join in if you're interested in it, feel free. Uh, just to label anything I found which sort of fitted this thing. So uh, I just quickly printed off some of what's uh, uh, been labelled recently. We'll just read through some of them. So um, uh, as an uh, article about beware of spooks stringing along security reporters. So fashion now, Frank Gardner, Gordon Carrera from the BBC are excellent, but everyone's got a security uh, reporter these days, but actually the intelligence services may not be being altogether straight with them, and we should be questioning what's the agenda behind what we're being told through a new specialism in that way. 
the Polish president signs a bill putting state media under government control in order to guarantee its independence. Fantastic doublespeak. Absolutely wonderful. In order to guarantee your independence, we need to take you over and put you under state control. Very interesting. Uh, Saudi Arabia fires up an American PR machine after executing a regime critic. So it's done a controversial execution, and in comes the PR afterwards to justify it uh, in ways that you know, they get reflected through, uh, in this case, the American media. Um, uh, more Mexicans are leaving the US than are entering. So that's the Donald Trump issue. Uh, why conspiracy sp theories spread through social media faster than anything else? Uh, BBC News, how the internet lied to you in 2015. And Christmas listicle of all the things the internet uh, got wrong and all the memes that were entirely wrong during the year. Um, uh, let's just see what else we've got here. Trump claimed that he predicted Osama bin Laden. It's been interesting for his mother. Um, more than one mass shooting a day, question mark, how the media were misled about uh, the scale of mass shootings in the US. Um, uh, woman seen in a bubble bath photo is alive and not a Paris suicide bomber. Lots of hoax pictures, we could go through lots of them, particularly around Syria and so on as well. Uh, uh, several days after this stuff's gone out, suddenly it turns out not to be true, or it's a picture from a different time in a different country used in a different context. I've come up with a lot of examples of that. Um, oh, yes, you can either savour the bacon or relish the hysteria. So where are we on the red meat question? Um, actually, uh, that report of the World Health Organization statistics that went around it um, uh, were perhaps not as robust as they should have been. So there's still quite an interesting debate over uh, how carcinogenic is red meat. It's uh, not to say I'm a denier about it. I don't eat, eat it myself. But nevertheless, uh, I think the public is left in deep confusion over that question. Um, I could go on, there's a lot more here, um, there's probably, I just did the, the first, first run of the last few months and got 40 or 50 of them. So InfoSmog, I see it around us every day, uh, and I'm simply making uh, the case, I hope, we're sort of taking more responsibility to try and drive our own media literacy a little better. Discuss. Thank you. Thank you.